leadership in cybersecurity isn't just about understanding threats. It's about leading a team to navigate them with confidence. At CPF Coaching LLC, we specialize in taking your leadership skills to the next level. With over 15 years in the cybersecurity field, we empower professionals and startups to reach unprecedented heights. Imagine having a personalized coaching experience tailored to your unique career ambitions. From strategic planning to masterful pitch and interview preparations, we're here to guide you through every challenge. Join us for our unique value proposition workshops or dive into our vibrant learning community for continuous skill advancement. Don't just be a part of the industry. Redefine it. Visit cpfcoaching.com for more information. Discover the leader within. Contact CPF Coaching LLC today and schedule your strategic session. Welcome to another episode of Breaking into Cybersecurity Leadership. Today we have J Jason James, who will be talking about his experience as a small business leader, as well as working within large enterprises to which he delivers work. James, you want to give us a little background about yourself? Sure. Nice to meet you. I am Jason James, English by birth, been in the U.S. since 2003 permanently. I have enjoyed working at a number of U.S. financial and consulting corporations, and I now, as you said, lead up Regents of Park since 2009 in the Southern California market. Tell us a little bit about your journey from growing from an individual contributor into a cyber leader. Sure. When I came to the U.S., originally it was with IBM for a year to work on insurance client here in the Southern California market. My focus was actually on mainframe consulting. I was a business analyst, so a long way away from what I'm doing right now. I was lucky to be able to emigrate two years later to the U.S. permanently, and I continued that path. I went to WAMU, who is gone now, and did some business consulting. And then I went to Option One, the mortgage company, Subprime, which is also gone now, and did some more consulting. While I was at Option One, there was an organization called Jepson Wells that had some resources there, and they poached me out of Option One to come and work with them. For some reason, they thought I might understand Sarbanes-Oxley on the IT audit side because the because there's a, it's a nice, easy program to follow. And if you've got a broad IT experience, you can, you can supposedly do audit without necessarily being an expert. So I migrated into the US, the IT audit world with Jefferson Wells. And from that point onwards, I was lucky or unlucky. There was some attrition within the management team there. And I got promoted a couple of times and within the sort of six to eight months, I found myself as the, uh, the director running the technology risk management practice with a requirement of selling and delivering $12 million worth of consulting every year and had a whole team of fiber and PCI and audit resources working for me and, and a client base, probably from LA to San Diego. So a pretty decent geography, which allowed me to, to build up a lot of good relationships and get to meet people later on in my career, like yourself. I would definitely be diving into some of those. Sounds like you really escalated quickly in your leadership journey because you had the skills and competencies to be a great cyber leader. What would you say some of those critical skills are? So interestingly, we have highly technical people and I've had the opportunity to work with some incredible people 
who can hack your network and talk about the design of your, your layer three network, who can drill down into configuration settings and vulnerability management, set up your log management. And those individuals, basically the backbone of cybersecurity. However, there are another group of people, and then maybe the ones that are in the more in the leadership position who have communication skills, who understand risk at a vertical level. So in other words, at a business level, who are able to translate that technical information that the, that the technical group are providing on a sort of a, hopefully a very frequent basis into sort of more business language, such that the organization's leaders, the senior leadership team can, can understand the risk and can ascertain what they want to do in terms of sort of risk appetite, whether it's insurance or financial investment or hiring or firing. I think you, you have clearly different groups within the cybersecurity organization and all of them are absolutely fundamental to protecting an organization. However, I don't think you can miss any one of those, those people from the highly technical to the, to the business driven cybersecurity leaders to be successful in that, in that field, in that arena. So it sounds like you, you need lots of different tools in your toolbox. Absolutely. For me, I always joke, I'm six or seven and I have an English accent. And I think a lot of people don't look past that. I've been very lucky that, that being the, there was that statistic that said, if you're told you interview well, and then they, the English accent, I think convinces a lot of people that what I'm saying is true, even if it isn't necessarily on point. But in terms of actually to answer your original question, I think one of the most important skills is that communication skill. When you come from a consulting background and you're meeting a new client on a regular basis, so you're not dealing with the same people year on year off, when you're meeting a new client, that first communication, they're going to judge you and they're going to judge your appearance and your communication is actually going to dictate what they think about you from a technical point of view as well. They're going to make assumptions. They're going to make judgment calls. And a lot of that will reflect on your capabilities. If they don't truly believe what you're saying is, is true. And if they, if they question your opinions, even if factually they're perfect or spot on, that will have a very negative impact on your availability or your ability to convince people to do things. And in the consulting world, a lot of what we're doing is assessing writing a report and then making recommendations. And it's the same within the sort of the full-time world, you're doing activities and you're passing that information post activity up to management and saying, Hey, I recommend you do something. If there isn't that trust, if there isn't that reliance on what you're saying, it's going to de deplete the, the effectiveness of your, of your ask of your request. Okay. So you mentioned communication as being one of those critical skills. How do you rate your comfort level with communication on a scale of one to five and why? So for me personally, I think I've got pretty good when I was at IBM, which was, so IBM would have been, although I was a full-time employee, I think it would be considered my first consulting engagement prior to that. I worked at Safeway and other organizations where I was more internal IT as a programmer. And the only people I was communicating with were the business analysts on a daily basis. But when I went to IBM, because we had multiple clients, I started to communicate directly with clients and I was given the opportunity to be a, a technical resource that worked with the sales team to, to as a technical sales lead, as well as my day-to-day -day job as a business analyst. 
And they also asked me to train individuals on communication skills. And I used to, we would have a, I think we would probably have a one day or a two day training program and within the first hour, I'd have everyone stand up and say, okay, just give me a five minute presentation on any topic that is not work related. So it has to be something personal. And you could see the people's faces go white with fear. And these are people who on their daily job do professional presentations. They stand up in front of the board or in front of the management and they talk very confidently. But when I took them out of their comfort space and I put, asked them to talk about something outside of work, that fear came on because it, it was something they weren't comfortable with. So for me, I was lucky that IBM gave me that training and I took that all the way through my consulting experience. And now occasionally I get on panels and I stand up and do presentations through two not-for-profits and I'm on the board of ISACA and IAA, which I've been members of since 2003 for both organizations. And I feel comfortable each again, like everyone else, as long as it's a topic that I have thought about and researched and potentially have worked in, give me a topic outside of that. And I'm going to be as scared as the next guy. Another one of the critical competencies in leadership, whether cyber or not, is delegation. How would you rate yourself on a scale of one to five, your ability to handle delegation? So as a small business owner, actually delegation is quite scary because ultimately you're taking your brand and your company and you're putting it in someone else's hands and you're telling them to communicate directly with a client who's going to pay you some or a lot of money. So you're really, and that goes back through my entire consulting career. When I got promoted to director at Jefferson Wells, I had to take individuals whose I had signed, sealed and delivered a, an engagement. And then I had to take individuals and say, okay, you go out there and do the work and be the face of the company. In terms of how I feel comfortable delegating, it's always a concern. And I focus very much on working with people that I've had very long relationships with. Some of my consultants I worked with all the way since, since I started at Jefferson Wells in 2003. So these are 20 year relationships. They, I feel very comfortable delegating. But there's always going to be a case where you exceed your, your capabilities in terms of your resources and you have to bring in people from outside who you haven't had a long relationship with and you have to put them out on site and that fear comes back. And that's the same for, I think, any executive, even if you're an employee, let's say you're a director of IT or a CISO and you've got a senior manager and you know that manager is going to present to the audit committee or to the senior leadership or go out there and present on behalf of the company those pangs occur. And at the end of the day, as a small business, I can't, I'm not spending a vast amount of money training my employees. They have come in with resumes that are relevant to the skill set, and I judge based on deliverable and I can of course do as much QA as I need to make sure the product looks great before it goes in front of the client. As an employee, hopefully your organization is investing in your, the resources. And when you delegate a task, you know, that they have all the support structure there necessary to deliver an accurate and an appropriate product. But I think I'm pretty good. My clients are happy and, and so far so good, but there's always going to be that one person who seems great on paper and, and potentially you could cause a lot of damage. So we just cross our fingers and spend as much time talking to them beforehand as possible to get your comfort factor up. 
And that probably leads right into the next skill is collaboration. How would you rate yourself in that skill on a scale of one to five and why? I certainly like to collaborate. Ultimately, at the end of the day, you, when you're collaborating, you're sharing, you're, you're sharing the benefits, which may be the financial benefits, but you're also sharing a lot of responsibilities as a small business. I do sell and I do obtain clients directly word of mouth. I don't have, I do have a website, but I don't do any inbound or outbound marketing other than my interactions with ISACA and IAA and my not-for-profit work, which gets my face out there. But the partnering I do and has been a very significant part of my business strategy is with other consulting businesses. I've got relationships going back all the way to when I founded Regents of Park in 2009. Originally, I guess I would say I was actually, I did that more for a billing and tax purposes than the intent of actually being a real business. And I was consulting for another company that I still consult with and they still outsource their work to me. But I have larger strategic relationships now with organizations that are in the billions. And one of them is actually a trillion dollar company that I partner with in these cases. I'm the prime, they're the sub because of the, the terms of the RFPs that we bid on and we share the delivery. They do two thirds. We, I do it. My company does a third of the delivery again, based on small business requirements in California, SBE requirements and DBVE requirements. So I have to put a lot of trust in them because they're doing a significant portion of the deliverable. I have another relationship where this organization is leader in banking. And as such, really, they haven't done anything in the technology space for many years, but they have all of these banks as customers. And what we set up was a strategic relationship where they outsource all of their banking IT work, whether that's compliance, like if I see at Hamburg or audit or PCI to my organization. And again, they're a sales and marketing team for me. Basically they, we do a revenue share and I trust them to to represent our organization appropriately. And they trust me to deliver on the work and, and then I trust them to invoice. So it's a symbiotic relationship, but of course, financially beneficial to both of us. That has also gone on for a number of years now. And I like to replicate that model. I think if you cannot work successfully with other sides or like type businesses, it makes it very hard for you to achieve your goals, being able to do strategic sales, marketing delivery, post sales. It's a lot of work for a small business. It is. And that kind of transitions into the next question is how important would you consider the skill of influence to a cyber leader and why? Mm. A lot of people influencing it's pros and cons, right? Because at the end of the day, you want that individual to, to make their own decisions. Hopefully they're empowered, they're a leader, they've, they've got the resume, but at the end of the day, you know, that they'll probably rely on you. You've done a lot of the legwork. You've done the investigations. You've spoken to the individuals. Uh, this is assuming we're talking about an assessment. I'm sure there are other influences that we can talk about, but let's assume I'm doing an assessment and now I have to convince a leader, whether it's in the cyber world and the business world that there is a concern that needs to be addressed. Uh, we don't typically influence them. If there isn't, we typically only bring them bad news. Unfortunately, when it comes to presentations, there's vulnerabilities there that need to be addressed. So to be able to convince them effectively is really important. Otherwise that 
typically that vulnerability will persist and luck of luck as it falls at some point in the future that that could end up being a disaster or a catastrophe, depending on how bad. And we never want that to occur to a client or to a, an employer. So having the ability to convince them, uh, Hey, it isn't, you've just got to spend a million dollars and hire a lot of people and we'll take care of it. It's really got to be a trusted understanding that we know what we're talking about, that it's real, that it's not going away. And that if ignored, it will have significant repercussions. So that, that could be, we go back to those communication skills. It could be presentation skills. It could be bringing in SMEs that can translate your findings into more meaningful data. So maybe I'm trying to convince a CIO or a CTO who's not a cybersecurity specialist, but clearly has a lot of technology knowledge. And they won't necessarily trust me as a cyber or IT auditor, but if I bring in someone who with the right resume, who is also influential, that could support my, my strategy of, of trying to influence and convince that, that leader that again, the vulnerability does exist. And then there could be sales. Okay. So I'm just a sales guy and why do, why should I trust you? You just want me to write a big fat check for you. One of the ways that I've tried to influence people and actually earn trust is through my not-for-profit involvement. So I do presentations. I never use my, my logo when I'm at ISACA and IAA, I very rarely mention or wear any branded material. I want to be considered a trusted advisor and I never try to sell anyone on any idea after, after discussing whatever their concerns are. It's more along the lines of, I can talk to Jason about my issues and he'll give me a candid response without ever having to without trying to sell a service that also is quite influential because again, they're like going to your doctor, you're not being upsold or sold. You're just getting a candid response to a concern. And then you can take it back to your leaders and, and convey the information you've learned. And that's a big reason why I'm a massive fan of these not-for-profits and others that, that we are members of is that people can share an influence without the pressure of, of sales that obviously a lot of people feel when, when asking their, their existing service providers. Yeah. Ultimately, if you're, if you're effective over your career and people respect you, I think they'll allow you to influence them. And that rolls in right into the next question. You mentioned that all of the not-for-profits that you support, that would fall into the category of networking. How important is networking as a skill for a cybersecurity leader and why? So originally I networked, I was at Jefferson Wells and the leadership team said, okay, your customers are in these two not-for-profit groups. You're selling a lot of Sarbanes-Oxley and this is where your customers are going. So join and schmooze and find out what's going on and hopefully that will generate revenue. And, I, and hands up, that's what I did. But I realized very quickly that the people going there were truly after the CPE, this continuous professional education. These are people that are committed to their professions and their organizations, and they really want to learn. And this is and a majority of the people that go there, although it's not necessarily a good thing, are mature professionals. So people who have already been in their career for a number of years, so they've moved out of education. They don't have another education source and they want to keep 
can keep learning. They want to get certification such as the CISA and the CISP and the CI and certifications to, to continue to build up their resume and to allow them to move up in the, the ranks of their organization. And then there's another sort of group of CPE. There's the leadership conferences, the CISO roundtables, the places that people can go and effectively communicate in a safe environment. Again, no sales, no, no pitches of products, exchange of ideas. So while you're not being educated directly from a textbook, from a COVID framework or from HIPAA or PCI or whatever it may be in the technology space, you're exchanging ideas. Those are, I'm a member of several of those, a CISO roundtable here in Orange County, where we talk about products and risks and deployment issues, and we recommend individuals to each other. Again, in a very safe space where no one from a sales and marketing point of view is allowed in. So I think they're fundamental, something that I was never part of when I was in the UK, never was, no one ever promoted it to me, although I know these organizations are in the UK. I didn't come across them until the US and I think the US is far better at promoting the networking opportunities from the big four roundtables and workshops for students coming out of university to the, the CISO roundtables that are virtual and face-to-face -face in the various geographies to that, those large formal networking groups, IC squared and ACFE and many others that are, that I've also been a, a part of. And they hold fundamental conferences that provide not only those CPAs necessary to maintain your certification, but a broad spectrum of really valuable, high quality training. And I don't think you should consider your career successful until you're actually presenting. And I say this from a personal point of view, actually presenting at some of those conferences, being a membership, being a member of those leading those boards or some sort of active participant, because then you're really paying forward what you've learned in your career, making sure that there's success for those coming up right behind you. Wow. That's some great advice. Last question, and it's a surprise to many people, but what, any other advice that you would give to cybersecurity leaders that are coming up? It's interesting. So I was a career employee until I moved to the U.S. and then through necessity did consulting. So although I had a very clear, I guess I didn't have a very clear path. I was originally a sort of a, well, I was actually building IBM PCs before we had hard drives and floppy drives and then building networks and then first and second line support and then a programmer. So I felt like my career was taking those natural progressive steps up until the point I got to IBM. Then I took that foray into the consulting arena. And not that I say everyone should leave their full-time jobs, otherwise we'd all be in trouble. But there's a, one of the things about consulting that I like personally is that broad spectrum of projects that you get involved in, the varied assignments that all of the different compliance frameworks that I get exposed to, some that are new, such as a number of years ago, we introduced the CCPA to California, which is the Data Privacy Act for similar to GLBA. I'm sorry, GDF, of course, I can't think of it. The European framework that has gone out of my head, doing too much banking. PR. GDPR, thank you, yes. So I have found that at some point I got to the point where my resume was broad enough and deep enough that I could move into consulting. And I guess I've never looked back. I've really enjoyed the opportunities I've had, the flexibility to go to different clients, involve myself in different engagements, whether it's in banking or automobile or government 
or small business or web-based, a ton of PCI work. It's exciting. It's interesting. Um, it can be very beneficial financially if you're good at it and you keep yourself busy and lots of people want to use you or you can start your own business like I did. I guess for me, that transition, I should have done it at Y2K. Told myself I should have done it at Y2K, and which seems like a long time ago for most people. But that was when a lot of people that I knew transitioned out of being a full-time employee into a consultant. Not that a full-time employee is a bank. Some people, that's the only way they can provide benefit to their family. But for me, I will never look back and I will always appreciate the fact that I was forced into that consulting business. And then the second one, and the most fundamental was getting involved. And as I said in my previous one with the not-for-profits that led me into the relationships I have now, um, the opportunities to lead through a presentation and gain clients and trust. And again, that's something unique right down to the US and how it's promoted in our industry and being on the board, not just being a member. And actually volunteering time and effort is the other most successful and most valuable experience and, and activity that I have committed my time to. Wow, James, Jason, thank you so much for that. I really appreciate you coming on to breaking into cybersecurity leadership and looking forward to you coming back again in the future and we can dive into different topics as well. Thank you. In the rapidly evolving world of cybersecurity, your business needs a guide that's as dynamic as the threats you face. CPF Coaching LLC delivers unparalleled expertise to elevate your cybersecurity startup or business with a decade and a half of specialized experience. We're not just advisors, we're your strategic partners in growth and risk mitigation. Our tailored advisory services range from immediate hourly guidance to comprehensive three or six month packages, all supported with encrypted messaging for real-time assistance. For more information, cpfcoaching.com is your destination. Forge a path to success and distinction in the cybersecurity landscape. Connect with CPF Coaching LLC today and secure your business's future.